<laughs> okay. Where you been, Dave? We'll wait for Dave to get back there. Okay, I'm, I'm on, I think, and I'm good volume, and Dave likes me, and everything's cool, so when are we ready? We're going to ready to do this thing. All right. Okay, everybody, welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class, where we're punctual if we're nothing else, right? Um, the sun's just setting, so it's a good time to do this. Let me open in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you for a really beautiful day today. Thanks for the springtime that's coming. Thank you for your Torah. Thank you for this group of people that decided to come out tonight and uh, study it. I'd ask that you'd, uh, you'd be in our conversation this evening, that you would just help us to learn from each other, that you'd open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding, to some new insights. I thank you so much for your Torah and how, uh, how deep it is and how valuable it is and just the, the rules for living life. So... Bless us as we go through this time, Father God. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, <clears throat> as you know, we've got a couple of new people here. This is a good thing. Um, we're going through the Torah just as uh, in, in every week we do as much as we can do. We're, we're well aware and we understand that the Torah has been divided into 54 portions and they've assigned a portion to each week so that if you do a portion a week, you can finish the Torah in a year. And we took a vote way back when and decided that we would rather not do that because a lot of times the discussions get going a little long and we don't want to feel like we have to quit early in order to keep a schedule. So we've just been doing as much as we can do and we just pick up each uh, week where we left off. Now, we are now in the book of Exodus and we're a little over halfway through we're in Exodus chapter 30. And I always like to spend a moment and kind of review what's gone on. The past two or three weeks, for the past two or three weeks of our study, Moses has been on top of Mount Sinai um, speaking with God. And God has been giving him very explicit, detailed instructions on how he wants the tabernacle to be built. Um, exactly how big it is, the dimensions, what it's to be made of, and um, it's all written down. And we've gone through it in great detail, and we've learned quite a bit about it. Let's see, I can show you some of the articles. Just I'll quickly run through this just for the fun of it. Um, the first article in the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant, and um, as we talked about, Nobody really knows what that looks like because even when it was up and functioning, the ark was only ever viewed by Aaron, the high priest, Aaron or the high priest. But this matches the description that we have pretty much of it. And let's see, who, who can tell me what's inside the ark? Okay, I'll tell you. I mean, we got a lot of different... There's the... It turns out that the, the tablets, the tablets on which, by the way, we're going to do that in a minute, get those tablets written. Um, are you just going to hold that? Marvin has it. Go for it, Marvin. 
Well, you got to turn it on first. The guy that hands it to you is supposed to know that. Okay. The, ten, the Ten Commandments were in it. Ten Commandments, what else? Was the manna in it at this point? The jar of manna was in it, and then there was a third thing. Aaron's rod that budded. We haven't, we haven't talked about the rod that budded yet, but we'll, we'll learn about that. Anyway, so that's the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, then this is a piece of furniture that was on the right, was the table of showbread. And there's various different drawings of how that might have looked. And on the left was the menorah. And there's various different pictures of how the menorah might have looked. A seven-armed seven, uh, candlestick, if you will. Um, those candles, they're not candles. They were oil lamps at the top of each one of those. Uh, let's see, it was a big thing, as you can see by the size of the guy that was dealing with it there. It, does anybody know how much that weighs? A lot. It was in the description, it was to be made out of one talent of gold. And a talent of gold, they think, weighed about 75 pounds. So that was about 75 pounds. Let's see. It sat in this kind of a structure. It was a, a rectangular structure, a tent, although it had walls. These walls were composed of planks that were covered in gold. And this is kind of, it was covered over the top with several different layers of, the inside layer was a finely woven fabric, a tapestry, if you will, and then several different layers. And the outside layer was a, a kind of a weatherproof thing. Um, let's see, this is a floor plan, if you will. And so if you came in from the front, the table of showbread would be over here, the menorah would be over here, and the Ark of the Covenant was back here in this place here. And this is a picture of a full-size uh, model of one that's over in Israel. Yes. You don't like it? Move it a little down just a little bit. Okay. What was it interfering with your... Okay. All right. Okay. I need to do a little more fine-tuning on this. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, I'll quit going through this in a minute. This is a cutaway of what it would have looked like inside there. Um, outside it was an altar where they used to burn the uh, offerings. And the altar was just like a huge barbecue. And this is what it might have looked like as it was, I always like to tell people, this is a photograph of what it looked like when it was operating. Um, this is the garments that the high priest wore. Um, this is a, another piece of furniture that sat right in front of the, of the uh, partition between the the outer room and the inner room, that was for incense. This was the laver. They had to wash their hands and feet before they entered the temple or the tabernacle. And I think that's all. Yep, that's all. Anyway, so what we've been the past several weeks doing is learning how all these are to be constructed and how big they are and all that. So that's where we're at. I just thought you needed to know that because uh, we're going to be finishing that. The last two or three things we did Last week, were, uh, he gave the formula to Moses for how you make the anointing oil and how you make the incense. And now we're in chapter 31. So it's, that's where we are. Sorry, that took so long, but I'm not very sorry, really. <clears throat> so the way we usually do this is we usually read a portion and then we ask questions. I, you know, we, we have study books, for those of you that want them, that you can read ahead and the way it's supposed to work, ideally, is you, you read a portion and you answer the questions and then we get together and discuss them. Uh, but 
you know, whatever works best. We don't, we don't seem to have any trouble with discussions. The idea is, is if you have questions, it forces you to go back and make sure you understood what you read, at least a little bit. Be that as it may. Let's go on. Would somebody like to read chapter 31 from verse 1 through verse 11? I'll okay. read since I have the mic. Ah, 31. good, old, good one, going. 1 through what? 1 through 11. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, See, I have called by name Betzalel, son of Uri, son of Ur, of the tribe of Yehuda, And I have filled him with the spirit of Elohim in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all work, to make designs for work in gold and in silver and in bronze, and in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood and to work in all wood. And I, look, I have appointed with him Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I put wisdom in the hearts of everyone who is wise-hearted, and they shall make all that I have commanded you, the tent of appointment and the ark of the witness and the lid of atonement that is on it and all the utensils of the tent. And the table and its utensils and all the clean gold lampstand with all its utensils and the slaughter place of incense and the slaughter place of ascending offering and with its utensils and the basin and its stand and the woven garments and the set apart garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons for serving as priests and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the set apart place according to all that I have commanded you they are to do. Okay. So, again, God's still talking to Moses here. Who did he choose to kind of be responsible for doing all the construction of the, the tabernacle and its furnishings? Bezalel. Bezalel, I think. Yes, it's okay. We'll get you. Bezalel. And um, it turns out that even in Israel today, I think there's, I forgot what it's called, but that name is not unfamiliar, and it's usually associated with craftsmanship. You know, with artisan, art, art, Artisantry. arts and crafts kind of a thing. Okay. And uh, who was the other guy that was? Oholiab. Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach. I mean, that's just fun to say, right? So what two tribes are they from? So where's Bezalel is from Jehuda, Judah, and and. People aren't waiting for the mic. Okay. I will. Okay. So never mind. Anyway, does, well, that's, that's enough. I just wanted to ask, how did God assure that these guys were up to the task of doing this stuff? Did you mention the other tribe? Dan? Dan. He's never mentioned, so we had to bring him up now. Yeah. No, you didn't. End. Okay. How did God assure, Dan is the other tribe, thank you. How did God assure that these guys were up to the task of, of putting together and doing the artwork, the artisan, the artistic stuff for here? Let's see. Over here. I'm a bit shy on the, That's the okay. mic. So um, it says that God basically gave them the wisdom, put it in their heart to do these works. That's exactly right. Verse 3 says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God 
with skill, ability, and knowledge of all kinds of crafts. So there was, there was no doubt that they, well, I shouldn't say they couldn't fail, but there was no doubt that they were up to the job, if you will. Any other thoughts about that? Okay. Let's go on. Um, does somebody want to read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter? Chapter 31 is a pretty short chapter. Uh-oh. We have a question. Late question. Well, I didn't realize that you were saying you're going to go on. Okay. I just want to point out in uh, verse 4. Yes. It says to devise artistic designs or uh, it's also called an ingenious working. Uh -huh. That word devise, uh, now it just went away. Um, hold on a second. Okay, it means to think, account, think, plan, make a judgment, imagine, ingenious work, reckoning, devise, invent, invention. The basic idea of the word is the employment of the mind in thinking activity. Reference is not so much to understanding, but to creating of new ideas. This goes back to what you're saying in the previous verse, that they were skilled craftsmen and they had to have their minds in gear. And it's saying they had good minds with a lot of knowledge and understanding that they could understand how to do this ingenious work. Yeah. They weren't just looking at something else and copying it. No, that's this a very good point. This was a unique, ingenious design that was different from everybody else's. Mm -hmm. that, that's a very good point. I remember we got into a discussion about the, the menorah because the menorah is a 75-pound piece of gold that's supposed to be made from one piece. And uh, that's, that's, that'd be a trick even today. Could we say they were filled with knowledge they probably wouldn't have normally have had? Yep, I think it's fair to say that. Mike's got something. I'd like to point out here also that in verse uh, six, I think it's six, um, that the wisdom was given to those whose hearts were wise already. Yep. So these were people that were able to take on the task prior, but yeah, it was a unique new, yeah. new thing. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a good point. Because they were wise already, and 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 cut out for it at least in in uh, in the eyes of God. Yeah, I think when you said that, the the point that I got or the thing I took away was um, these guys were already geared this way if you will. So this was something that they were uh, inclined to do. They liked it. That was something that they enjoyed as opposed to something totally different. You know what I mean? Something that, that would have been way out of their wheelhouse and they, they would have right. felt, felt the, this. The wisdom was new. Yeah. And, the wisdom and, was new. And that. But the subject was not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yes. Well, these people are already, they're already set apart by Yahweh while Moses is up on the mountain. But we know when he comes down, there's going to be a big well, thing no, going on. So I'm thinking that these people are probably not participants in that, in whatever yeah, you, sin is going yeah, on. You're, you're a little bit ahead, but you're right. We're going to run into these guys some more. We're not uh, done Joe with wasn't them. here, so I just wanted to That's keep you on fine. your toes. Spoiler alert. We're going to, <laughs> we're going to run into them some more. Um, and then th that will be borne out. Did you have something, Pat? Oh, wait, can't say anything. I noticed this time through in verse, 
um, three, that they were um, evidently given wisdom in all kinds of things. In other words, one man didn't do all the gold and somebody else all the silver, mm -hmm. somebody else the tapestry. Mm -hmm. Apparently, each man or each person involved was able to do a variety of things. Yeah, well, one of the things, one of the things that we will uh, discover as we move on is that one of the gifts these guys had was the ability to teach others. Because there was a lot of people involved in this. It wasn't just these two. But, and this is still God talking to Moses. And God is telling him, you know, find um, uh, Oholiab and Bezalel, and those are the guys that I have, I, God, have put in charge of doing this stuff because, number one, I've set them apart. Number two, I've filled them with the wisdom and the spirit that they need. And number three, they're pretty good at it anyway. And, you know, this, these are the guys that I want doing it. But it, there's a lot of people involved in it. So we'll find that out. Okay. Does somebody want to read from chapter, uh, from verse 12 to the end, or do you John have another Watson. question? Okay, one more comment, I should say. I bet it's a comment, not a question. So, for those who are looking at the standalone of Tavs, okay. in verse 6, there's actually two of them. Really? Uh, in between, and behold, I have given for standalone of Tav with him a holy ob. That's the first one. And the next one is after wisdom that they... Make standalone altar all that I have committed. Oh, so, okay. And then in verse 7, there's another one. Boy, there's a lot of them in there, huh? Hmm. Then that's it. Okay. Let me look here real quick where it's at. Very at the, right at the beginning. Okay. Do you want me to read too? If you would like to read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter, that'd be good. It's in the King James. Well, uh, okay. And Adonai spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am Adonai, Jehovah, that doth sanctify you. <clears throat> you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is a holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it <clears throat> shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein that that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Kadosh to Jehovah, whosoever doeth any work in the, in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath through, throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days, Yahweh made uh, heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of coming with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Okay. We'll come back to that very last verse in just a minute. But uh, first of all, uh, why does God say that the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath? John? It was to identify them? Yeah. It says it will be a sign, right? Observing the Sabbath will be a sign that you are my people. It says, it says a couple times. Yeah. Verse 13, this will be a sign between <clears throat> me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am Yahweh who makes you holy. So it's, an, it's a big deal. So 
we were talking about this today a little bit and at last night mm-hmm. about Exodus 20 verse 7 where it says a new day or the new beginning of the week and you know it's Mark has can comment on that a lot more but this is like you said this is like in your face <laughs> a death sentence if you're not doing it type of thing yep and to just casually come up with some verse in the New Testament that says oh uh, you know well that's where they changed it right there it doesn't have the gravitas that this does. No, no, and I'm glad you mentioned that because there's something else that, you know, sometimes it's kind of nice to know where certain things are in the Bible. And if you ever really want to read some stuff about the Sabbath and how God feels about it, Isaiah 56 is a really good place. Um, I'm going to read it just for a couple minutes, okay? This is Isaiah 56. It's not very long. <clears throat> it says, this is what Yahweh says. Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. That's a good thing anyway. But it says, Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely exclude me from his people. And not let not the eunuch complain, I am... I'm only a dry tree. For this is what Yahweh says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give my temple and its walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to Yahweh to serve Him, to love the name of Yahweh and to worship Him, and who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring into my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer. The God, the sovereign Lord, declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. So, I don't know, all I wanted to point out was keeping the Shabbat is clearly a big deal. Yes? Yeah, in verse 14 in my translation, it says observe, but the root word that's being used is shamar. Yep. Which is to guard. Guard. As putting a hedge with thorns about it to protect. So to protect, to observe, all of those play into that definition. So it's not just something that, you treat casually. Yeah. Because I've heard people say, well, every day is holy. Yeah. Well, it depends on how you treat it. Yeah. But he's saying guard this one. Yep. Because it's set apart. Yeah. And we're going to talk some more about those exact days now. Um, I think think it's interesting here that uh, uh, he's talking about a work to be done. Uh-huh. And that really takes you back to Genesis and um, Genesis uh, first chapter in verse 33, where he had completed the work of creation and and blessed the Sabbath and sanctified, sanctified it and um, said it was to be for a day of rest. Yep. So it just kind of takes you back. That, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also... Uh, uh, 
looking forward to that men are going to have to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, okay, that's kind of a segue into Can my, I, my yeah. next question about this. Yeah. Why do you suppose this thing is stuck right here? Because there's, they're going to be working, and yep. I want to make sure that they work six days and rest on the Sabbath. Exactly. In case you yeah. think this tabernacle is real important, you're right. Yeah. But it's not as important as keeping the Sabbath. Yeah, and, yeah. I, think, and I think, too, a lot of times we forget... Um, when I was working, it was like I had a I had, I had a bad attitude, and then I realized the work part of it is part of the commandment. Mm -hmm. Six days you shall work. <laughs> Good point. So it's a positive commandment. You shall do this. Yeah. And then you rest on the Sabbath. So it's a two-part commandment, not just. Not just you know, resting. Not yeah. just resting and kicking back and, you know. Fair point. Taking it easy. So. <laughs> Anybody else? Somebody else have something I thought? Okay. Now then that last verse, verse 18, said, When Yahweh finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the, test excuse me, of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. In other words, for the past several weeks... I think it's clear back starting in chapter 25. You know, chapter 25, I believe, is where Moses went on up the hill and disappeared into the cloud of smoke and fire. Everything from then till now has been God talking to Moses. But now God's done. Verse 18, when Yahweh finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him these two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So who wrote on the tablets? God did. God wrote on those tablets. It's etched in stone. It's etched in stone. Okay, so now we get to chapter 22. Is there anything else you want to talk about about that? Chapter 22 is a fun chapter. We're going to have a good time with this. 20, 32. Excuse me. Chapter 32. It's that new math. Get you every time. Okay, let's see how far we want to read. Um... First 14 verses. Well, yeah, let's do the first 14 verses. Somebody want to read the first 14 verses? Sure. I guess you do. Okay, fine. He's doing what I do to him, just bring the mic over to him. <laughs> so now when the people saw that Moshe delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Haran and said to him, Come, make us an Elohim that will go before us. As for this Moshe... The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in your ears, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, and, and they said, this is your Elohim, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and observed, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay, let's stop there. This, this, because I've, I, I had a note that I should stop there and talk about this for a minute. 
Okay, so can somebody just kind of paraphrase what's going on here? Well, um, it looked like they didn't know what was going on with Moses, and they said, well, we better do something, guys. Uh, why don't we just go ahead and make a God that will go before us? And Aaron said, uh, okay, guys, yeah. give me all your stuff, and let's make this thing. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and so they made uh, uh, a calf, mm -hmm. established an altar, and they were going to have a celebration. Okay. Well, they did, actually. It says, afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Um, so did they have reason to think this? I mean, where was Moses? Yeah, out of sight. He was up in the top of this thing that looked like a volcano, and he'd been up there for about how long? Forty days. Forty days. That's a, like a month and a half he's been up there, and... I mean, you know, if they were so inclined to want to do this kind of stuff anyway, I can, I can see them kind of running around saying, my gosh, the guy's dead. Look, <laughs> look at that. Nobody can live up there like that. So what do you think, Marvin? Well, I've got a comment about Aaron. I, okay. I, reading this this time, it looks to me like he was a very willing participant in this. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it's amazing he even survived this whole thing. Uh-huh. I've, I've often thought that about Aaron. Aaron seems to come off uh, awfully well because other people that we've read about got fried for doing this kind of stuff, and Aaron seems to be able to get away with it. We'll talk more about Aaron when he dies here and later on, and we'll kind of ask ourselves the questions, you know, so how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, Mike? I've always kind of got the impression that Aaron just didn't operate well under pressure, yeah, yeah. and he was under a lot of pressure and he himself, he didn't know what happened to Moses. He probably thought he yeah. died up on the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron, uh, he, he was not a leader of men, really. Did they know how long he was supposed to be up there? No, no. They didn't know how so long. So what's a reasonable way? I mean, God's a reasonable Elohim, Isaiah yeah. chapter 1, verse mm -hmm. 16 or so. Uh, 40 days, 400 days, 4,000 days. Well, yeah, I guess, you know. I'm, I'm just, I'm know, trying to be the benefit. I'm trying to, not the devil's advocate, but I'm know, trying to be the. I, I hear you, and I, and I can kind of go along with that in the sense that um, for God, 40 days is nothing. I mean, that's just a snap of the finger, right? That's no big deal. That's, that shouldn't be enough for people to lose, lose their faith and, and decide to go another way. Um, so, I, you know, it, was a long, it would have been a long time for me. I probably would have been in the camp about, let's do something. I think I heard a tradition that says they, they were told it was 40 days or 39 days, and he stayed one more day, and they couldn't, couldn't handle take. one more day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't um, help the thing is probably the people's nature from their culture, from the society they just broke free from is probably the kind of stuff that was going on in Egypt. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what kind of an idol did they build? A calf. A calf. The calf is uh, representative of the Egyptian god Apis, and it's a sign of fertility. So you, you can tell what kind of revelry they were probably having. Yep. They probably started long before the 40 days because he came back within 40. It took them a while to 
to do this? Decide to do it and then to make it yeah. and so forth. Fair point, fair point. Go ahead. The other thing is that you mentioned that Aaron had maybe a little more reason to be concerned because Moses had disappeared for 40 years. <laughs> fair, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, he was used to Moses point. cutting out on him. <laughs> Well, let me toss another idea in the woodpile since mm -hmm. we're talking about what they had made. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the paleo or the pictograph symbol for Elohim is a ox or a strong bull or a calf, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So, you know, so they're fashioning an El, mm -hmm. an Elohim to go before them. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron should know that this is not the right thing to do. Yeah. So he kind of makes it up by saying, okay, tomorrow we're going to have a festival mm -hmm. to yod heh vah -Heh. Mm -hmm. Well, I think maybe if you could give anything in Aaron's favor, it would be that they're not necessarily worshiping another god. They're just trying to give their god a form. Wait, go, um, you, Paul says he's not finished, although he did relinquish the microphone. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to agree with what you just said. Mm -hmm. I think maybe Aaron was thinking, you know, the people were getting agitated, upset. Maybe they were going to riot or, you know, uh -huh. be a situation he couldn't handle. So he thought, well, if we have this golden calf, the other nations, there was, the other nations had a false El, a false uh -huh. god named El. Mm -hmm. And they used this golden calf imagery to worship their false gods. But he was probably thinking, well, they're familiar with it. They're used to it. If I let them have it, but we, but we say that it's the real L, yeah. you know, and we're yeah. worshiping Yahweh yeah. with this golden calf, that will be okay. Yeah, sounds, well, it turned out, you know, it wasn't okay. Kind of sounded like I, Christmas tree to me, but go it, ahead. It, I think <laughs> it, he was, it set a good precedent. Yahweh was saying, look, you do not, I'm to be set apart. You're not to use the idols and the practices and the constructions and the things that were used in the nations around you, like Egypt, yep. you're not to borrow those and copy those yep. and then use those to worship me. Yeah. Because that doesn't set me apart. Yeah. That doesn't make me unique. Yeah. Uh, I think you got it. I think you made it pretty it. clear That's... to him. Don't copy that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mark's got something. So they're not just celebrating a feast because the Hebrew word for feast here is hog. So this is a um, pilgrimage feast. This is where God commands every male three times a year to come up. It's a special, specific feast. Okay. Okay. So they're creating their own, like the Northern Kingdom did. Yeah. Say, so, hey, we're gonna we're gonna institute a new pilgrimage feast here, and we're gonna do this. But the timing here. This is somewhere between Shavuot and the Day of Atonement okay. because he comes down with the second set on the Day of Atonement. Mm -hmm. What takes place in between Shavuot and the Day of Atonement on the Hebrew calendar? Uh, the f trumpets, the Day of Trumpets is one thing. I'm thinking more out middle because there's, there's a 40 and a 40 here. There's 80 days. Yeah. Well, uh, it could be the 40 days of all, but it could, this could be happening on the 9th of off. Sure, sure. No. Anybody else? Somebody? So Marvin's got one, John's got one. 
after everything they've been through, you know, in Egypt, when God went to a lot of trouble to humiliate <laughs> all those gods, yep. for them to make one on their own is just mind-boggling. I, I understand yep. they were concerned that they were alone, but after what they've been through, yep. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yep. Well, like, like you said, I'm still surprised about Aaron going along with it, too. Did you have some, John? It was a Christmas party. Mark, when do you think he went up? When he went up the... Yeah, but that's not... We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, okay. 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 Um, anybody else? I have something interesting. You can bring me the mic next. No, no, go ahead. One of the, one of the things that um, the the a lot of the idols of Egypt were like mediators between them and their gods, their false gods. Yeah. You know, so here they didn't want to deal with God directly. So now their mediator, Mose, was gone. So we need to have a mediator to go before us. We need to have a mighty one to go before us. Um, and, yeah. you know, I mean, there's all kind of ways that, so they end up fashioning this L, this, yep. this thing to bow down to that would be there because, I, yeah, I, however, however there would re, we don't know what was in their heads no. collectively. I, I was going to say, I, I have a trouble with the mediator part, because it's not a mediator, it's an idol. You know, what they needed is they needed God to have a form, and God didn't want to have a form, and he didn't want them to think he had a form. So that's really what they did wrong. I mean, he said, what is the number two there? It says, make no graven images. You know, he, he does not want a form. I found something, my turn. Um, <laughs> that, you know, what does it say there in... Um, uh, verse 4 at the end of verse 4 he says then they said these are your God this is your God O Israel who brought you up out of Egypt right okay so turn with me to 1 Kings 1 Kings chapter 12 I'll tell you what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 12 this is just after the kingdom split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, Jeroboam is got his people up in the uh, northern kingdom and he's setting up his own little country up there. And I'm going to start reading. Let me see here where I'm going to start reading. Verse 26. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And from there he went out, built up Peniel. Shechem is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, and some of us have been there. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem... They will again give their allegiance to their lord Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to king Rehoboam. 
After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves, and he said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Same exact phrase. Isn't that interesting? That's what got me. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. And Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and he offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. And at Bethel he also installed priests at the high places he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built in Bethel. And so he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. So, <laughs> isn't that interesting? History repeats itself. Is this replacement theology? <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. That, that phrase, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence that it shows up here in Exodus and it shows up there in 1 Kings. Anyway, I like that. I was just going to say, and again here, it's a hog. Mm -hmm. The feast is a hog, and it's a false hog like the other one. Yeah. Not even close to the same no. month, not even the right month, day, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and the thing that's interesting about that is this is a big deal to God. I mean, and, you know, he's allowed to make big deals out of whatever he wants. But the day matters to him. He keeps a schedule, evidently, and he wants these things to happen on his schedule. And we take it upon ourselves to change it around, change it up, and, and with the idea that, oh, well, he won't mind. You know, we're doing the same thing. We've just chosen a day that's a little more convenient for us. Well, I, you know, I think there's good reason why that's a... Not going to fly. So yeah. God does not like to reschedule things, yeah. is that what you're saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I wanted to point out, uh, in, to give a little credibility to what I said earlier in verse 7, he says, um, they have corrupted themselves. The word corrupt is shechet, and it means destroy. Well, what happened on the 9th of Av? A destruction took place two times. Yeah. And so it's very possible, and I counted from the, Tenth of the seventh month, going backwards forty days, and it's only seven days from the ninth of Av, so it's forty-seven days. So if he came down on the ninth of Av, there would have only been a week's time for him to crush the idol, sprinkle it, have them all drink of the water, and then go back up. Okay, you, you're ahead. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. This is just my opinion, but um, I think one of the reasons why God does not want us to have um, anything that we would assume is his shape and form is because that diminishes him. Mm -hmm. And um, just like a lot of times when people will take Yeshua and they will try to make him so human that he loses all sense of anything divine mm -hmm. and then they equate it to themselves, you mm -hmm. know? Yep. So it's kind of like elevating one and diminishing another and it's, it's just not good. It's just not good. Yep. 
Does anybody have an explanation of since Yahweh said that making man in my own image, we don't look like cows, so why did they not <laughs> make something? No, that's a very good question. I don't have a good idea. Yes, there's... Mm -hmm. Hmm? Michael's got something. Only because it was brought up um, that we're made in God's image. And I can't help but notice this pattern here that um, as uh, God created everything in the six days and took his rest on the seventh, and you said it's a big deal, they were in the process of building a tabernacle, which is kind of what God did. He built a tabernacle for us. Mm -hmm. And there we are. It's like a, a miniature image of the grander picture. Okay. I just thought I'd... Yeah, it's kind of abstract, but, um, but we were building a tabernacle, and our earth is a tabernacle that, that God built in the first six days. So uh -huh. we're following a pattern uh, to further <clears throat> show God that we are actually... In his image, mm -hmm. not any other. So since we're talking about constituting a different holy day than what he said, mm -hmm. and John mentioned, he said, maybe Mark will talk about it. This is all about, he's giving him the sign of the, the Shabbat, and it's a sign between me and you. Mm-hmm. In our two pictures, the one you gave about Jeroboam and the one here, they're creating a different Hag feast day, but not the weekly Sabbath. Mm -hmm. But we have a historical evidence in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, that the church says they use, that this is proof that the Sabbath has been changed from the seventh day to the first day. <laughs> and when you look at that verse in the Greek... The word for week is Shabbat. It is completely in error. Yeah. So literally, mankind has set up their own day completely opposite of what God even wrote in the text here in the New Testament. Yep. yep. Want to go on? Do you have something else, John? Real quick. Okay. You can go real slow if you want about the first verse, when the, when the people uh, saw that Moses delayed, maybe this is a stretch, but I had a footnote in Second Peter 3, 4, and saying, this is talking about, uh, well, anyway, it says in verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Maybe that's a stretch. No, but. no, no, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, um, this is not the first time we see calamity occur because some guy was too impatient. Some people were too impatient. Like I say, one of the biggest lessons I think we need to learn is that God's time scale is not ours. And, you know, it's just recently I've begun to think that although I'm quite sure we're close to the end, it may not happen in my lifetime, you know? Well, <clears throat> Before this verse, he talks about, in Peter, it talks about scoffers. Now, I don't know if this is related at all, but were there, were there in, was it just a, every, every person was thinking that, or was there scoffers in the Mount Sinai that were trying to stir things up to cause this 
you know. No, I would think it would probably be the latter. I don't think everybody was thinking the same thing. Although there were clearly enough of them thinking it to create some sort of a mob mentality, if you will. That's an interesting point that uh, John brought out because this whole thing about the delay mm -hmm. and, and the, what's in our hearts. Uh, was it, was it uh, Saul when Samuel mm -hmm. had yep. delayed then. and then all of a sudden he runs ahead? Yep. And Samuel said that well, it's was the his same, undoing. it is the same as witchcraft or divination yep. Yep. to do this. Yep. So, um, you know, sometimes it's really proper just to wait. It is, and it's hard. Even, even beyond our expectations of what's going on yep. Yep. and not try to run ahead and fabricate something like yep. they did oh, in the wilderness. Yep. And I could see two similarities with the situation with Samuel and the situation with Aaron, and both of them have to do with the fact that the people were clamoring. You know, both of them, both Aaron and uh, Saul, felt like, well, these people are, you know, if, if, I, if I wait too long, uh, they'll go off on their own and just, you know, desert me or whatever. So they were both feeling pressured by the people. It's interesting. Margaret? Yeah, I think um, Yahweh's time is different than our time. Because we are in time. Yes, <laughs> we're, in, we're captured. He's not. We're captured in time. Yeah. But my comment is mm. that, you know, they, they still had the manna every day, though. And they still had the mm -hmm. double portion on Friday. So it's like, yeah. it seems like that would have been, you'd think. That would have been proof enough. Yeah, you'd to, think. You know, just. I don't know, though. Hold off. Yeah, I was going to say pretty much what Margaret says. You know, what is their complaint? I need to go back to Egypt and make bricks. I, I, I can't lose how to forget how to lose, remember how to make bricks. Is that, is that my problem? I mean, there is no complaint. It isn't like there's, hey, no. there's no water here. There's yeah, no. That's a good point. It's like, is the work too hard? What are you doing? You're, you're on vacation yeah, for yeah. crying what's, out loud. What's so hard about waiting, like you say? <laughs> Take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go on. I think I'll read because I like to read too. I'm going to start in verse 7. Then Yahweh said to Moses, go down. But by the way, that was a, you know, what we did there. Uh, God was talking to Moses, and then the camera moved over, and we went over to Aaron and what was going on to all the people, right? And now the camera bucks back to, comes back to Moses. And uh, Yahweh says to Moses, go down, because your people, your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, Yahweh said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation." But Moses sought the favor of Yahweh his God and said, O Lord, he said, should, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
to whom you swore by your own self, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. And then Yahweh relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. So I'll stop there for a minute. What do you think about that? I mean, God's mad, right? He says, I realize you can't see what I can see, Moses, but they've already, you know, they've already turned on me. They've already corrupted themselves. And uh, he says, just stand over here and I'll just zap them and I'll start over with you. Right? And I think there's, and then what, what is the essence of Moses' argument to God about why that's not a good idea? There's two things he points out. Mark's got a couple here, or one. Can you imagine a man is, is he's, he's about to betroth a wife. He bends forward to write the terms of the contract on the piece of paper. Yeah. And he looks up, and his <laughs> wife is across the street kissing another man. <laughs> that's he hasn't even gone analogy. writing the contract out. Yeah, Not yeah. signed or anything. I mean, that's yeah. really what's happened here. Yeah, yeah. Yep, he's, she's become unfaithful before she's even finished getting married. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, that conversation you have with your boss that you don't want to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, <laughs> I just don't understand on how, I mean, God was like in presence above them, you know, and mm -hmm. and there were automatically doing that and it's like I, I would have hated to be in Moses's shoes at that point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know I've, I've learned it's probably not a good idea to talk about how stupid these people were because we weren't there. <laughs> it looks like the only thing that I see the main thing is being the uh, the promises that were made to Abraham and Isaac. That's one of the reasons. He said Moses said to God, remember the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he calls mm -hmm. him. That's one of them. What's the other reason? There's another reason that's given there. Um, Moses brings it to God's attention that it's basically for his reputation. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly um, it. it the Egyptians he, he brought said, in the Egyptians saying yeah. that what would they say yeah, you know, that, that's it that's it he says what are the Egyptians going to say if you do this you know what's it going to look like if you bring these people out and just wipe them out in the desert you know it's going to look like you're not very you know, not very good at picking your people <laughs> yeah do you think maybe uh, uh, in a way uh, God was testing Moses because had he I mean, he, he could have, but basically you're starting back at square one. Sure. You're still keeping your promise to Abraham because Moses, Moses is a is descendant. descendant. Yeah, he could have. And, uh, but he, he could have. But he, I think it was, in a sense, a test for Moses. But I think God already knew that Moses was going to pass the test. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I see something very, very funny in this. <laughs> uh, when he tells Mo Moses, you know, get down there, dude, with yeah. all this stuff. Then he says, 
let me alone, hold me back, basically, hold me back, hold me yeah. back, because, I, and, and he hasn't done anything yet, you know. It reminds me of comedians I've seen, you know, in shows yeah, where yeah. they're, and it's like, okay, is he, was he trying to provoke something, a compassion or something in Moses um, to reveal to Moses what's in his own heart mm-hmm. or that could to be. stir something in his heart but for the people? It's Go ahead. But I just, I just think that's so funny. Hold me back. Hold well, you know, back. I, uh, I saw that, that phrase jumped out at me, as I, and I was going to go there next. Uh, but I, got it, I took it a little bit differently than you, and I'll tell you in a minute here. Go ahead, Pat. I was seeing Moses as having spent time with Yahweh up there. And Yahweh's nature would be instilled in him. So I see him being merciful as Yahweh would be. I mean, obviously he's angry as well. Mm -hmm. But prior to being angry, he was himself, which Mm -hmm. is very merciful. And um, I think he's letting Moses reveal his own godly nature in him. Okay. i tell you what. Okay, Margaret, go ahead. I was just thinking this is not to make Yahweh human, but it's like some of the stuff that we do. When we see something that doesn't turn out the way we're supposed to or we want it to turn out, we kind of go through all these options. Let me mm-hmm. just go ahead and destroy everything and mm-hmm. let me do this. and mm-hmm. And... And I think it's kind of neat that Moses is there to communicate, and it's like, settle down, Yahweh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know you're Yahweh, and you know you promised this, and yep. it's like, okay. Because I think a lot of times we need that fellowship of each other to, to come to terms with the, the things we're supposed to really the important the things. things. Right. Yep, I agree with yeah. you. I think, and God often presents himself as quite human. Yeah. You know, he often does that. One of the things that I'm thinking about, because, and I think you mentioned it, it's so easy to elevate ourselves and put them down for being, how could they be so stupid? Mm-hmm. They were indoctrinated in the ways of Egypt. I mean, they had to be set apart. Mm-hmm. They had to come out, unlearn everything that they right. had been taught. That's right. That's unlearn right. all the different ways, the everything from the cultural nuances yep. to the dietary ways, and they're out here in the with wilderness in this scary, time. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so all of a sudden, Moses, whom they argued with before, during, and after, mm-hmm. uh, is not around, and, and so. Reflect for a moment. Here I am, you know, how many times have I elevated my own ideas? Mm-hmm. Well, plan A is we're going to pray. Now we need a plan B, mm-hmm. just yeah. in case yeah, we right. don't hear from God well, right well, not away. not only that, but plan what, A doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, was the, yeah so what's yeah. plan B? Yeah. Do we need to come up with another way mm-hmm. or another one? Well, and, and so often I think we come up with ways that we might fashion our own ideas or our own idols, mm-hmm. but we don't call it that because it's not so plain in yeah. front of us yeah, visible. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, but, yeah I agree. Uh, Mark's got something. Beg your pardon? So the question yeah. came up a little bit ago about why is God telling Moses all this? Hold me back, hold me back. 
And I'm reminded of what he said about Abraham. Mm-hmm. How can I not, you know, should I hide this from Abraham, what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm-hmm. And let's ponder this verse, Amos 3.7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Mm-hmm. So he's revealing to Moses, his prophet, what he's about to do. Yeah, but he doesn't do it. No, but he's telling him what he's going to do. Just yeah. like he told Abraham, I'm going to do this. Well, Abraham's beseeching for mercy, uh, even though the, the, the ten aren't found. So he's still revealing what he's going to do. Okay. Now God, and this reminds me, and I, I take great comfort in this, knowing that God's not going, you know, when Yeshua is coming on the scene, he tells the prophets first, the heavens, yeah. Yeah. and they reveal it to mankind that the Savior is coming. So he's not going to do anything unless he tells so it to be made known. Okay. Okay. Sometimes I have a hard time waiting to the end. Yeah, I would echo what uh, both Margaret and uh, Mark are saying. Um, you know, I, I would even go so bold as to say he doesn't have the authority to do that unless he confers with the ones who he put in authority to do these things. Like Abraham, he was a he was the counselor, if you will, for the other for the other nations for for Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. So he has to give him notice what he wants to do, and then, and the burden is on him to convince him, but to do otherwise. Yeah. And I also want to talk about this verse fourteen, and Yehovah repented of the evil. That word there is. Vayinachem. Guess what that's used? Way back, and it's first used with uh, Noah, like in 6 7. This is the third time he says, And Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the earth, for it, for, for it, repenteth me all that I have done. So, I don't know. I'm of the feeling that it's like, these are real, this is, they, if you accept the argument that he has to, he has to expect, he has to respect those who he's put in charge to have some authority over things, and if you don't do it, that puts a lot of onus on you to do the right thing. If you just say, well, God knew it was going to happen, and he was just testing Moses. You know? No, I don't say that. I know, but yeah. that's, it, you, I, I, it's, people can go back and forth on that, and it's, I, I just think that, we're, we're, I'm concerned that we're watering down our responsibilities and not, and not focusing on them. And we have been given great power. We need to, we need to emphasize that and, okay. and learn what the righteousness is and act it out. Okay. I, I'm, what my thought is on that is kind of along those lines, a little different. And that is, I think God needed Moses to stand away. You know, what do you say? He says, now leave me alone that my anger might burn. He couldn't do it if Moses was there because Moses was going to intercede. Moses was going to say, like you said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on here, you know. And, and, and it's the same thing with Abraham. When God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham started the bargaining down to the number of people, you know. Um, and God basically said, I won't. Okay, I won't. You know, he said, I can't do it if there's some, somebody righteous standing here interceding. That's what I think is happening. I think that, uh, you know, uh, God says, you need to go over here 
You know, don't pay any attention to what I'm doing. Leave me alone a minute and I'll just nuke these people. But, you know, as long as you're going to stand here and pray for them and intercede for them, I can't do it. I right. mean, he could, but... Due, due yeah. process. Yeah. So I think that's really what's going on. Go ahead. I, I knew we'd have a fun time on this one. I noticed another, another thing, another pattern here is, is, is while um, God was explaining his, his anger to uh, Moses, saying, I will make of thee a great nation. Yeah. So it seems like these people that are interceding are also could, you know, they're prime candidates to be the next great nation. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Just to tag on to what John said, since Moses is the chosen person, yep. militarily, uh, prophetically, he's, he's, he's the guy that's leading six million people here. Yep. It, I mean, as, as the commander, as God is, it really wouldn't be protocol to not tell this guy what you're about to do. Yeah. It really makes sense. You know, I've got to let him know what I'm going to do because yeah. I've told him everything else. Yeah. Why would I leave him out of this? Yeah. By the way, I've worked for guys that didn't do that, and it's no fun. <laughs> So obviously everything he's saying is for us now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's all encouraging us for what we're going to be up against our generation and the following ones. So the discussion is really powerful, right, that we're having right now because it's all, all of these things that are being said we have to take to heart, that we are coming out of Mystery Babylon that we are immersed so much in this false culture mm -hmm. of even, you know, Christianity. Obviously, that's why we're setting ourselves apart in this manner, but that's even deeper. Mm -hmm. There's, like, tremendously more, right, that we don't see, just like Paul was saying and Margaret and others. And then, like John's saying, it's just this whole intercession responsibility we have to intercede so that things can be made right. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, when he says, above all, I want you to supplicate, petition, intercede, and offer thanksgiving for all men, it's a huge authority responsibility, like John's saying, mm -hmm. that we have to intercede for all men mm -hmm. and to get to that, that um, authority, um, maturity, uh, administrative ability, mm -hmm. you know, all these facets that he's given us in the spirit uh so you yep. know it's just really exciting in our discussion to <laughs> you know because I, I agree with you yeah and, and yep. that he's doing this all over like i'm hearing other people yep. say things and it's so encouraging that our priesthood is coming this kingship is is here mm -hmm. his reign so um we need to focus on being obedient yes right yep Yep, yes. And then understanding the submission to have this authority he's given us. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read a word in Hebrew. It's called naham. And it means to sigh, breathe strongly, to pity, to console, to avenge oneself, to comfort, uh, to be moved with pity, compassion, suffer grief. Repent is one of those words. Uh, and so now in the 
verse where it says changed his mind or repent, it's changed is naham and mind is naham. So Yahavah naham naham twice about the harm or the evil or whatever. But when you look at it from the Hebrew words is to sigh deeply. <laughs> To, okay. And, uh, and, and, and I, I look at it as, you know, because we, we look at the repent as shoes. It, yeah. it, the word shoes is not there. No, no. It, I think relent so, is a better word. So I, I think relent or to console oneself, to breathe deeply and say, yeah. you know, to pity, to feel sorry for the people. Yeah. Because here it is. So there is compassion woven into that word, yeah. naham, naham. The, the breathe deeply part really kind of yeah. evocative there. That's really interesting. Okay. Well, yes. well, I, I, a lot of people uh, accuse the Elohim of the Old Testament of being a cruel taskmaster, oh, yeah. but yeah. in reality, he has compassion and mercy. And yep. I think uh, what we see his, uh, his true emotion through the person of Yahushua when, you know, he... When he raised Lazarus, and and it says he wept because he had compassion, and he he looked at Jerusalem and said, "How I just wanted to gather you like a, you know, a mother hen gathers her mm -hmm. chicks, but you wouldn't yeah, wouldn't you, have it." Yeah. So his true emotion is that he wants to gather us. Yeah. But you know, I think that's good. That's most really of us good. just don't want to have it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us too. Too busy moving holidays around. <laughs> okay. Did somebody want to read uh, starting in verse 15? And let's see. I don't want to read. Anybody want to read? Um, let's go 15 through 24. 15 through 24. Yep. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their side, and on one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of Elohim, and the writing was the writing of Elohim graven upon the, the tables. And when Yahshua heard, that was Joshua. Yeah. Yeshua heard the noise of the peoples as they shouted. He said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing, do I hear? And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp. that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger grew hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strewed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my sire grow hot. Thou knows the people that they are prone to evil. For they said unto me, Make us Elohim, which shall go before us. For as, for as for Moses, this Moses, the man that brought us 
up out of the land of Egypt. We know not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out his calf. That's got to be the funniest <laughs> line in the Bible. Is, yeah. Threw it in the fire, not pop this calf. Yeah. How far did you want That's to good enough. That's good okay. enough. Let's talk about this for a few minutes. Yeah. So, a couple of things I want to point out. So it says there at the beginning in verse 15, Moses turned and went down the mountain. Okay? So this is him leaving. God says, you need to, you need to go down and take care of your people. They're, they're messing up big time. Go down and take care of it. So Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony written. What do you think about this big deal about written on the front and the back? I mean, that's clearly an important point there. They made it it's very important to realize there's two tablets written on the front and the back. What do you think about that? Does anybody have any thoughts? Whenever you sign a contract, how many copies are there to the contract? There's at least two. There's one for you and one for the person you're contracting with. The one for you, you take home and you've got your signature and his signature. And the one he's got, he takes home and he's got your signature and his signature. So you both have copies of the contract. And both of you, uh, you know, according to what you're doing here, both of you have agreed that, yes, we will do this contract. We will keep this contract. We will be faithful to this contract. So both copies are there. That's the way I look at it. So where did the, both these copies get put? In the ark. And the ark is, has access by whom? By God. And by the people, really. I mean, it sits among the people. Theoretically, Aaron could go in there and look at it. And certainly God can look at it. So I don't know. I kind of think I, that makes sense to me. Maybe I'm okay. wrong, but that's what I think. Go ahead. Well, this copy didn't get, the, get put there. Well, that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this copy did not. This copy got wrecked. Yeah, that's, this isn't an ideal situation. Can I throw a visual aid sure. up on the screen? Yeah. You guys throwing visual aids. I don't know about this. Yeah, we're starting we're starting a new thing here. Mm-hmm. Moshe throwing down. Mm-hmm. It's, about it's about to get all <laughs> Levitical up in here. Yeah, yeah. About to get all Levitical up in here. <laughs> but it's got two humps. Yeah. That's don't not. be stepping on my funny picture. Well, they just weren't talking to John when they drew the picture. That's all. That, by the way, is a Gustave Doré etching. Is it what? Thought I'd throw that out. Okay. <laughs> Gustave Doré. Okay. I don't know who that is, but all right. It's okay. I have another question then. So um, when he heads down the mountain with his two tablets written on both sides, who's he run into? Joshua. Joshua, right? And as they're walking on down the hill, you know, um, they hear the people. And what does Joshua say? He thinks it's uh, war. war. Okay. So with those two facts in mind, where has Joshua been for the past 40 days? He's, he's been halfway up. He's been halfway up. He wasn't with Moses, right? And he wasn't down the hill or he'd know that wasn't the sound of war. So he's been sitting on the mountain, halfway up, waiting for Moses to come back. So he certainly didn't have any problems with 40 days. I just think that's a fascinating thing to realize, that Joshua, Joshua stayed there. 
He was really committed to being Moses RHM. Stands for right hand man. So could have the people the people couldn't go up to the mountains. This I'm going back to the yes, problem. Yep, Why didn't they yep. find it figure out this problem? Mm -hmm. Could have they sent someone to Joshua? I bet they could have. And you know, like people are concerned here, like I don't know how, how long do we have how long much longer do we have to wait? Yeah, I'm still yeah. worried about how this whole thing started. No, that's a very good point. I think certainly they could have. They they made, as near as we can tell from the account, they made absolutely no effort to check on it. All right. So, when Moses gets down to the camp, what's he do? Aside from, you know, smoke coming out of his ears as he boils with anger, right? He smashes the tablets on the ground. Then what's he do? What's he do with a golden calf? He melts it down. He grinds it up into powder, right? And he mixes it with water. He scatters it on the water. And the Israelites are made to drink it. Now, does, to those of you that are really into this kind of stuff, and this is not your first time through the Torah, does that remind you of any situation that we know about, that we're going to read about later? John knows. But, no? That, that's not bad, but that's not what I'm thinking about. The jealous husband? Yeah. It's the jealous husband. You remember the test? The test for the jealous husband who accuses his wife of being adulterous and she swears up and down she's not? So that's similar to the house of Israel, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's, absolutely. The, that's his Yahweh following his own commandments saying, I'm going to go through this process because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm acting like a jealous husband and I'm going to send you a bill of divorce if yeah. that turns out that way. Yep. I think that's right. Well, we'll we'll bring this back up when we get to that test for a jealous wife because that's an interesting thing. Uh, I don't know too much about smelting, Husband. burning, burning the golden calves. That would have made like uh, just a melting. You'd think it'd just be a blob of, of yeah, right. yeah. But, but the, he says, it the, says, and then he, he ground, ground it to, to a, powder. Yeah, to a fine powder. So it'd be like gold dust. Oh, okay. Okay, ground yeah. it to gold dust and then sprinkled it on the water. I don't know what water. And made them drink it. Now in the yeah. test for the the mineral water, right. <laughs> Great healing properties. Probably has the right bond angles and everything. Yeah, Dave knows about that kind of mineral water stuff. <laughs> Anyway, you remember that in the test for the adulterous wife by the jealous husband, if she drinks this water and nothing happens to her, she's not guilty. But, oh, there's this thing where her stomach shrivels up and horrible things happen, then she's guilty. So. I thought it was her stomach swells up. Whatever. Yeah. Well, the, the, huh? <laughs> and the thigh wasted away. Yeah, I, I've, we'll talk about that because I'm still not real clear about all that goes on there. Well, I know we haven't read it yet, but with that in mind, I'm wondering <laughs> how how they knew who to go through in the camp and... Ah, that's it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, now, what happened there is, uh, you know, let, let me just set the stage for you, Mark. Um, it's Moses. Well, we're not quite there, but Moses basically asks... 
um, whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And he tells yeah. them what to do. Go ahead. So back years ago when I first presented this idea was, how do they know who to kill? Well, if they drank that water and it acted the same way for the jealous husband as it does for that jealous husband, and the people that were guilty of the golden calf, their thigh wasted and their stomach swelled, it would have been real evident who needed to be slaughtered. That's cool. That works. And go kill everyone with a swollen stomach and a withered thigh, right? Yep, that works. Anyway, let's see. Um, don't you think it's really hilarious when what Aaron's explanation is of the golden calf? And what's his excuse? He comes up to poor Moses. I mean, in verse 21, Moses says to Aaron, what did these people do to you that led you into such great sin? What did they do? Basically, they didn't do that much, right? And he says, don't be angry with me. Uh, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. They gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. That's got to be the funniest thing I've ever read. <laughs> All by itself. Okay. John, go ahead. I'm just trying to... Imagine what Moses' reaction to hearing this would be. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I mean, this me. is his older brother, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, there's still over 100 or something or 80, whatever. But um, <laughs> he, he doesn't even bother. I mean, he gives him an excuse. He says, this is what happened. I mean, yeah. they, did, they didn't know what happened. And I think there's kind of a reasonable argument to be made there. But oh, Moses yeah. doesn't even respond to that. No, he doesn't. He just, okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to even, I'm not saying anything to that. <laughs> Aaron is the Teflon priest. Oh, yeah. Man, alive. <laughs> well, you want to read some more? Let's read from verse uh, 25. Well, let's read from 25 to the end of the chapter. That'll be a nice place to quit. Somebody want to do that? I'll do it because I'm, you know, I'm, I've been at four, but I like doing this. So I've got to put my glasses, though. So starting in verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what Yahweh says, the God of Israel. Each man strap a sword to his side and go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor." And the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 people died. And then Moses said, You have been set apart to Yahweh today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to Yahweh. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses went back up to Yahweh and said to him, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. And Yahweh replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. 
However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf that Aaron had made. Pat's got something. Since it behooves us to learn the lessons to adapt to us today, I think it's good to recognize probably two things that happened to Aaron, not just that his personality was wishy-washy, Mm-hmm. but that he was afraid uh, because fear, yep. perfect love casts out all fear, and obviously he didn't love God enough to not be afraid of the people, not just that they would reject him, but mm-hmm. maybe they would kill him. Yeah. You aren't any good. Yeah. The other thing, of course, is pride. He didn't want to be thought of as a hard master. Yeah. So, I, I've often thought if are, I was in Aaron's position, I'd have done the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, we shouldn't. We should learn. No, that's right. I don't know what your translation said in verse 25. Mm -hmm. In the King James, it says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, Uh or Aaron had made them naked, and in their shame among their enemies... The word there for naked is uh, farua, and it's first used in Exodus five four. And first king, used in five Exodus five four, and the king of Egypt, according to the concordance, yeah. and the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do you and Moses let the people from their works get you under your burdens? It's kind of a weird connection there, but. Yeah, I would have thought that word. In Leviticus, it talks about his sons uncovering, uncover not your heads. That's the same uncover. So that's interesting. That I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe what 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 does your translation say? It says it doesn't say naked. It says running wild and out of control. Yeah, hmm. that's yeah. quite hmm, a difference, right. isn't it? But, but I'm surprised that that word naked didn't show up in the garden. Right, you're right. It's yeah. the first use is uh, like I said in in Aaron, and in Leviticus, it talks about uncovering. Your head, yeah. The the Levites don't do that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, para is to loosen, to expose, or to uh, be let loose, let alone uh, without restraint, uncover. So um, let me let me just step out on the limb here and say whatever was in their hearts was uncovered. Well, that's fair. That's a good point. Yeah. And it was exposed. Yeah. So uh, what, let's see, first of all, when Moses asked for whoever is willing to stand up for God, come to me, who did that? Levites. The Levites did. So what was their reward for that? And they become the uh, priesthood? Yeah. God gave them a special blessing for being willing to do that, and it's not necessarily said in so many words, but that special blessing was the priesthood, I think. John? Well, but it's taken from somebody else, I would argue, anyway. It doesn't it. say go, it here. Go ahead. Go ahead and say. Why? Well, he's taking it from the firstborn. 
Ah, oh yes, oh yes. It that's says right. it later. I don't know if it yes, said it no, here at it, all. No, it does not say it here, but there's a whole bunch of accounting that does that. Right. I mean, that, that's the source of a whole bunch of number messing around in the book of Numbers. Right. So this is important because what happened at Mount Sinai was the firstborn of all the tribes lost that. Mm -hmm. They got the Esau treatment, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. And so the, here's something to think about. When you, when you accept Yeshua gave you a new, renewed the covenant with you, you know, where back in time from your legal status do you go? Do you go back to, you know, I would say before First Samuel chapter 8, where the, we're no longer bound by kings of this nation, so the, Yahweh is our king, that is established. Yeah. And I would go back to prior to this, which was when the firstborn, not the Levites, yeah. who are now in control of their... You know, they're, they're, they're the overseers of their office they're, now. They're, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're a nation of priests and kings. It doesn't mean you're Levites. It means you're acting like the firstborn. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So it wasn't so much that they just came over to Moses and stood, but uh, pretty much they had a task to do. Oh, yeah. It so, must not have been much and fun. It wasn't going to be an easy one. So uh, when, they, when they made that decision to go stand over here, yeah. then they would arm themselves and they would go through the camp. And whether it was their friend, their brother, or yeah. whatever, yeah. Uh, whoever they were appointed yep. to slay, they were going to kill. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. Okay, I think it's about time to quit. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate the way you guys uh, participate. I think uh, this has got to be one of the best chapters uh, just because it shows so much about God and it shows so much about people. And we can just sit there and identify with all the different characters. And then there's so many little, little things we can find. Like one of my favorites was realizing that Joshua had sat up there on the mountain with Moses that whole time. John? Last, last quick thought. Sure. He still, people still died. Most, or Yahweh wanted to, <laughs> wanted to pay, someone to pay with their life for, for a thing. So compromise, if you will. But people still died. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't the whole, you know, all the nation, yeah. everybody down there. So yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like uh, Abraham said, God's going to, he's going to, the creator of the universe is going to do the right. He's going to do what's right. So let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for this fascinating chapter. Uh, thank you for the study. Thank you for this group of people that uh, enjoy looking at your word. Help us to go home and just think on these things this coming week and to apply them in our life somehow. Help us to, if nothing else, God, help us to understand the relationship we have with you and how deeply you love us and how you want us to behave, not because you just want us to behave, but because it's what's best for us. Keep us safe until we meet Shabbat. your name we pray. Amen. Thanks very much. Look at there, 830 on the dot. <laughs>